Good morning, church. I am Ginny Stair, our Family Life Director here at Wooten Bible Church, and I am excited to share with you some exciting things that we are seeing God do as we are investing in families. We know Wheaton Bible Church loves family, so I wanted to share some of these things and celebrate with you. A couple of months ago, I mentioned that we were going to be starting a midweek ministry to kids for, called Kids Club. I'm excited to tell you it is booming. We have seen roughly 140 kids, kindergarten through fourth grade, coming on Wednesday nights. They are learning about God's faithfulness. They are memorizing scripture together and making good friends. It's exciting to see the enthusiasm as they share and recite these verses and then smiles as they're telling their parents what they've learned and how much fun they've had. Sometimes it's even hard to get the kids to go home at night. Mm. Another exciting update I want to share with you is regarding the warehouse. We have been intentional about investing in our students by refreshing the warehouse to make the space more welcoming and student-friendly. One of the ways in the designs that was created is intentional space for the students to hang out and to build relationships with friends. The large group space has given us a better opportunity for large group teaching and small group space for small group leaders and students to connect and dig deeper into what they're learning. One of the things that I would love to do is invite you to come check out this space, but it's hard because it is overcome with students and activities. On Sundays and on Wednesday nights, our preteen and our high, our preteen and junior high students fill the space. And on Wednesday nights, our high school students take it over. The space has allowed our students a place to call their own, an exciting space for them to build, bring their friends. Students are building faith-based relationships as they are digging deeper into the Word and learning about what the God's truths apply to their lives. We are thrilled to see kids and students learning and digging and exciting to come to church. They're finding community in the church family and growing in their faith, a faith that we pray will last a lifetime. Amen. Well, we want to share this with you because for many reasons, not only for you guys to know what's going on with our, uh, you could say, second generation church, uh, but at the same time to show appreciation because I know that many of you guys have been praying for this. I know that many of you guys have been faithfully giving to the church so we could do things like this. And I want, I want to remind you that you have no idea the impact that this has in the lives and the hearts and the minds of our younger generation in the church. The Lord is using this for, uh, to accomplish his purposes in amazing in amazing ways. I also want to invite you to continue to pray for our staff, to pray for our volunteers, to pray for our kids, to pray for our teens. Uh, we know that there's power when we pray because the Lord listens to our prayers and uses our prayers. I also want to invite you to continue to give to the church generously. As you can see, the Lord is using your generosity to accomplish his purposes. And if you're part of the church, I want to thank you because you always do that. If you're new to the church, I want to invite you to join us. There's always different ways that you could give. You could give online. You could always give uh, as you exit the building. There are boxes by the door. You could always uh, put your offering there. Um, I want to invite you to join us in what, what the Lord is already doing in this church for the glory of his name and the well-being of others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you acknowledging that you are good. 
powerful, amazing, Lord, I know, Lord, that you have amazing plans, not just for us, but for our kids and our students. Lord, we come before you trusting that you, whatever you start, started, you will complete. Now, we want to invite you, Lord, to move in our midst. We know that you are here. We want to give you glory, and we want to respond to who you are. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the churches. Amen. Amen. As a parent of a kid's life attender, a personal thank you, Ginny, and your team, and everyone for praying and giving to that end. Today, we continue our celebration of Easter, and we worship our risen Savior together as a church body. And along with several hymns that celebrate Easter, we are also going to celebrate baptism, where we get to see a picture of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. And as our songs say this morning, we get to celebrate that we worship and serve a risen Savior who is with us each moment, and we can abound in hope because he walks with us in every circumstance because of his victory. Let's open by praying together. And these are Paul's words from the first chapter of Ephesians. Heavenly Father, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us? What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in us, the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe, according to the working of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead? We praise you for that power in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship. Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, he lives, he lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his love and care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his Ed McCaskey. I'm Grace. And we're getting baptized today because we love Jesus. I am Marissa Price and I am excited to be baptized today because I love Christ and I am unashamed of my faith. Hi, my name is Zoe and today I'm going to get baptized because I know Jesus died for me and I want to live for him. Hola, soy Cruz Escobar y quiero bautizarme porque Cristo es mi Dios y mi Salvador y quiero servirle a Él. Hi, my name is Emma Sitz, and I am getting baptized today because I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. Hi, everyone. My name is Nico Amitrano, and I want to get baptized because I want to rededicate my life to Christ. Hi, my name is Isaiah Sagal, and I am excited to be getting baptized today and accepting Jesus as my only Lord and Savior. Hi, my name is Eddie Rojo, and I'm getting baptized today because I love Jesus Christ. Hi, my name is Andrew Sitz, and I'm getting baptized today because I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. My name is Rand, and I want to get baptized because I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus. Hi, my name is Nora, and I'm getting baptized because I believe that God's calling me to do it. Hola, mi nombre es Estefania, y yo soy muy feliz porque no me voy a bautizar. 
Hello, my name is Luke Sezanov, and today I'm getting baptized because I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and I want to proclaim that to the world. Hello, I'm Nora Sims, and the reason why I'm getting baptized today is because I want everyone to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. My name is Tristan, and I am excited to get baptized because I want to follow Jesus' teachings. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Carlos Andrade. Y estoy muy emocionado poder bautizarme hoy para mostrar cuánto amo a Jesús y quiero comprometerme con Él. Así quiero dar mi testimonio de fe en Cristo como mi Rey y Salvador. Hi, I am Lucas and I want to get baptized because I want everyone to know that I am a follower of Jesus. My name is Trinity and I'm excited to get baptized because I am a Christian and I believe in Jesus. Good morning, church family. My name is Emily, and it's an honor to get to lead you this morning in celebrating baptism as a church family. Our kids this morning, there are four of them, our kids and students, that are getting baptized, and they know that what they're about to experience is not an act of faith that saves them, but it is a representation of the work of the Holy Spirit that he has already done in their life. And so I invite you to celebrate with me this morning the truth of baptism, the beauty of baptism, that our kids in this representation are identifying with Christ's life and death and resurrection. How fitting is that after Resurrection Sunday, right? So I'm going to invite my friend Andrew down to join me. Andrew is one of our sixth graders, and Andrew, is it your testimony this morning that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then it is your mom and I's honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Emma, she's in fifth grade. And Emma, is it your testimony this morning that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then your mom and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is Nora, she's in third grade. She wanted me to tell you she's nine years old. And today, Nora, is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome, then your mom and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today we have two Noras that are getting baptized that are in third grade. This is Nora Gottlieb. Nora, is it your testimony this morning that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Then it's your dad and I's honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
hard to recover from something like that. So celebratory. What a special moment that was for all of us. Let's stand and celebrate the deep, deep love of Jesus that, that covers all of our sin from those kids all the way up through our whole lives.
Good morning, familia. I want, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. I want to welcome you all to Wheaton Bible Church. If you're worshiping here in person, you're worshiping with us online, or you're visiting for the first time, it is always a pleasure that, uh, that you are here with us, and we are here to love you and serve you in any way we can. Uh, today, we, uh, it seems weird, but we want to continue with our Easter celebration. This is part of the reason why we still have the decorations uh, on the stage. Um, and part of the reason why we decided to have a, an extra sermon that has to do with Easter is because if the resurrection happened, then everything has to change. Amen? I mean, two Fridays ago, we were remembering and celebrating that Jesus died on the cross for the penalty of our sin and the consequences of our sin. 
Last Sunday, we remember and celebrated that Jesus resurrected and he defeated death and the power of sin and, and uh, he earned our salvation and acceptance before the Father. So today, I'm trying to answer one question. Now what? I mean, if that is true, what now? I think it's a valid question. If the resurrection changed everything then I think that as a church, we should spend a few minutes thinking and meditating how does the resurrected life looks like? If we all died and resurrected with Jesus, if you're a Christian, what is it that the Bible calls us to be and do? And for that, we're going to be looking into Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 1 through 14. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. A sign of reverence to him. And his word. If you're still here, can you please say, I'm here. I'm here. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts in the things above with Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of this, the wrath of God is coming, you use it's coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony or perfect unity. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that you speak to us this morning. Lord, we trust that the way you transform our hearts and minds is by being exposed to the power of your word and the presence of the Spirit. Therefore, Lord, we also pray that the Spirit may be with us, that he illuminate, illuminate our minds, change our affections, affect our wills, so we can respond to whatever you have for us today. Can you please do that? We pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. The Apostle Paul has a unique way to write his letters. 
the tendency or his tendency for the most part is to start talking about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has accomplished, who we are in him, and then he talks about how we ought to live. He always follows the same pattern in every single one of his letters. Theologians call this the indicatives of the gospel and the imperatives of the gospel. The indicatives of the gospel is when Paul talks about everything that Jesus is, everything that Jesus accomplished, and everything that we are in him, indicatives. And then the imperatives is everything that flows from that gospel. So if you have believed in the gospel, this is how you ought to live, basically. Now, the order of that for Paul is extremely important. That's why he always uses the same pattern. Indicative before imperative. And as we're going to see later on in a sermon, sometimes, like in the chapter that we just read right now, he always brings these things together. Part of the reason why he does that is because if he's going to give you an imperative, something that you ought to do, he does not want you to forget, forget the indicative, something that you already have, already have. All right, class? So now everyone understands the difference between an indicative and an imperative. Amen? All right. Part of the reason why you start with that is because in this uh, Colossians chapter 3, it's all about the resurrected life. How is it that the resurrected life is supposed to look like? That's why in Colossians chapter 3, Verse 1, it says this, since then you have been raised with Christ. In chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Colossians, he gives all this explanation about Jesus and what he accomplished. And now in chapter 3, he says, since then, since this is a reality, since you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, since you confessed him as a Lord and Savior, not only you died and resurrected, but now you are called to live the resurrected life since you have been raised with Christ. This is how you ought to live. This is part of the reason when John Calvin years ago used to say that even when we make the argument that we are, by, uh, we are saved by faith alone, that faith never comes alone. Meaning that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there's supposed to be works, there's supposed to be fruit in your life. Not in a way as to earn salvation, because you already have Jesus and that salvation, but as a way to demonstrate that that salvation already got to you. So today we're talking about what it means to live the resurrected life or to live in light of the resurrection. And I'm going to give you four things. Now, this is a new, new season because Jesus resurrected. Four things, half an hour each point. It's part of the new, new way to do things in the church. Just kidding. Two and a half hours, people. These are the four points for today. We're going to talk about, Paul is going to call us to fight for and with your heart, to fight for and with your mind, to fight for and with your will, and to fight for and with your community. This is what it means to live the resurrected life. we got to deal with our heart, our mind, our will, and our community. Now, let's just start with the... Uh, you know what? Do me a favor. Look at the person next to you and ask this question. Are you willing to fight for the things that matter? Go ahead. All right, let's go with point... Point number one, fight for and with your heart. So Paul here 
in chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 1, is going to give us the first imperative. Look at it again. It says, since then, you have been raised with, raised with Christ, if you're a Christian, set your hearts and things above what Christ is. Now, it's important for, us, important for us to understand that when the Bible uses the word hearts, he's not just talk, Paul is not just talking about this muscle we have, and it's not even the place where we have our feelings or emotions. That's part of that, but it's much more than that. The Bible, whenever the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about this center of, or, yeah, center of control, where everything that you are and you have comes from. Your heart is where you find the things that you treasure the most. And whatever you have in your heart controls everything about you. Everything that you do in life comes from your heart. Everything that you, that you think you are comes from your heart. In other, in, other, in, other, um, in other words, it is from your heart. It is, it, is, it is your heart that affects your emotions, your will, your thoughts, and everything about you. That's why in this church, when we talk about the heart, our, our custom has been to describe the heart as the place where you have your affections. Whatever you love the most is in your heart. Whatever you hate the most is in your heart. Whatever you enjoy the most is in your heart. Everything we are, everything we have, everything we do flows from whatever you already have in your heart. Every single word that comes out of your mouth, Jesus says, comes from your heart. That's why whenever we are mean to one another, which it happens sometimes, when we are mean to one another, no one can actually, actually somebody could say, well, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. And every time I hear that, I feel like saying, oops, yes, you did. <laughs> you know what happens? You lost control over your mouth just for a second. But you meant what you said. Because it comes from your heart. There is no way around it. There's no, oops, I did it again. No, it comes from your heart. That's why Paul says, set your hearts and the things above where Christ is. This is Paul's way of saying, fight for your hearts. Fight for your affections. Don't allow your heart to be entangled by other things, to be distracted by other things, to love other things above God. Set your heart on what matters most. Have you ever wondered, for example, why is it that we fight? Yeah, see, you don't have to guess. James chapter 4, tell, uh, chapter 4 tells you that the reason why we fight and the reason why we quarrel with one another, listen up, is because of our desires. That's James chapter 4, verse 1. It is our desires fighting within us. You know, the word desires in the original can also be translated as your pleasures or your delights or your enjoyment or your affections. See, the reason why we fight and we argue is because sometimes we love, we love good things way too much. Because sometimes we find pleasure in good things way too much. 
Because we delight in good things way too much to the point that we turn those good things into God things. Paul is going to make the same argument in verse 5 when he says that we struggle with our evil desires. The phrase evil desires is actually, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, not a really good translation for that sentence or that phrase because the, I, I would I think that the word in the original means something like a deep desire or a deep longing. So Paul is making the same argument that James does in chapter, chapter 4. Part of the reason why we struggle is because we turn something good and we elevate it to a place that, turns, that, we, that we turn it into an idol, into a god. So what Paul says in, in verse 5 is that our deep desires become evil when those desires or those things replace God. When we find good things better than God. Your grades, your career, your looks, your position, your money, your recognition, your love, your romance, your family, your friends, anything that the Lord has given you that is good, when it gets a grip of your heart, becomes an idol, and then it replaces God. Good things, terrible gods. That's why Paul says, fight for your affections. Paul says you cannot afford to assume that you already graduated. You cannot assume that you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because if you, if you land there, there is a great possibility that you can walk away from Jesus. Actually, if you're doing our Bible reading with us uh, as a church, this last week we read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And it talks about this individual, his name is Demas who fell in love with the world in such a way that he walked away from Paul and therefore he had walked away from Jesus as well. Why? Because he learned to love the world much more than what he loved Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you died and resurrected with Jesus, part of your responsibility is to learn to fight for your heart. Set your hearts in the things above with Christ is. Seek Jesus, learn about Jesus, worship Jesus, surrender to Jesus, and even if you, if you mess up, don't stop. Continue to set your hearts and the things above. That's the imperative. Can you say imperative? imperative. That's what God calls us to be and do because we have resurrected. But Paul that knows that not only we need to hear the imperative, but the indicative. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, right in the second part, he says this. Set your hearts and things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You know what that means? This is Paul um, appealing to your heart. And reminding you that the motivation for you to change and the power for you to change come from the reality of what you already have in Jesus Christ. You know that word seated there? Means that not only Jesus died and resurrected, but that he ascended to the Father, and that he is sitting down as a sign that everything that needed to be accomplished was already accomplished. That you don't need to work for your salvation, that you don't need to earn salvation, that Jesus already did it all. Now, this is crazy for me. Do you know why Jesus died, resurrected, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father? Because the Father had already set his affections and you. 
Why wouldn't we want to set our affections on him? That's the motivation. That's the power. That's the imperative and that's the indicative. Paul says, if you died and resurrected with Jesus, fight for your heart. Number two, Paul also calls us to fight for and with your mind. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is also so typical of Paul. By the way, Paul is my favorite writer in the entire Bible. The most complicated too. But he makes this connection between mind and heart all the time. He sees the mind and the heart as separate things, and yet they are intertwined and they work together. Because whatever you have in your hearts, your affections, affect your mind, but whatever you have in your mind affects your heart. This is one of the reasons why as Christians we should understand that thoughts have consequences. That whatever we hold in our minds have consequences. This is the way I could reason it. Whatever you have in your mind affects your affections. Whatever affects your affections affects what you love. Whatever affects what you love affects your will. Whatever affects your will, there you go. Paul is going to always make this connection between the mind and the heart. Now, I'm sure that everyone here at one point has, has experienced something like this, and I just want to prove my point. Have you ever seen something that you, that you want to buy? But deep down inside, you know that that thing you want, that you want to buy is not something you need. How many of you guys have struggled with that at one point? Yeah, the rest of you guys are holy. <laughs> the reality is that we all do that. You look at something, you like it, right? And you know that you don't need it. But what happens? The more you hold that thought in your head, the more you look into the internet or you look at the pictures or you talk about it, the more you hold those thoughts in your head, the more you want it. And the more you want it, the more that thing becomes a quote, unquote, a need. That is the power of your mind. Let me give you another one because I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's an example in the text. Your identity. See, most of us here come from one of these two traditions, if you will. The traditional culture or the modern culture. If you are part of the traditional culture, your identity is usually based on what the community thinks of you. So whatever the community thinks that you should be, that becomes part of who you are. The problem with that, though, is that if that is your identity, then you're thinking all the time, well, I need to be accepted. I cannot let these people down. I have to fulfill their standards. So if that's the case, then your identity is based on what people think of you, and that controls your life. One of, an author that I was checking this week, he would say, is you, you are looking out first before you look in. That is, that is the traditional culture. If you are part of the modern culture, it's actually the opposite, which is the popular thought today. What matters most is not what people think of you, but what you think of yourself. You decide who you want to be. You decide what you have to be. You know what the problem is with that? That it is easy to ignore what God thinks of you. And what, others, and what other people think of you. The irony is that if you decide who you want to be, you're automatically going to look for someone that is endorsing what you think you should be. That's the problem. You see, on one end is you got to look out and then look in. And in this one is you got to look in and then you find someone outside of you to support what you already think you should be. 
What I find beautiful about this text, though, is that Paul says that that's not how you fix your identity. You are not to dictate who you are by what people think you are, and yet you are not to dictate who you think you are because of what you think you are. You got to look up. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Whatever God says you are, you are. Whatever you are in Jesus, you are. Thoughts have consequences. That is the imperative. Can you say imperative? imperative. But Paul knows that the only way for you to change, truly change, is not just to hear what you ought to do, but to remember who you already are in Jesus. And look at what he says in verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is what Paul says. What defines you is what you are already in Jesus. That you are already covered by Jesus. That Jesus died and resurrected. And that if you have placed your faith in him, you are in him. Therefore, when the father sees you, he sees you covered by Jesus. Therefore, the father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Therefore, the father is committed to you as much as he's committed to Jesus. That if the relationship between the father and the son cannot be broken, then his relationship with you, because you are in Jesus, cannot be broken. This is the crazy thing about this. That if the mind of the Father was already set on you because of Jesus, why wouldn't you set your mind on him and the things that he wants for you? Imperative, indicative. So Paul calls the resurrection people, if you will, to fight with and fought for our hearts, to fight with and fought for our minds, and also, point number three, to fight for and with our wills. Now, this one is going to take a little longer, okay? I need to explain a little more why Paul puts these things the way he does. Remember how I told you that for Paul, order matters? For Paul, that really matters. So if you follow the text, I told you already that in, his, in, in all the letters, in all the epistles he's written, he always starts with the indicative and then he goes to the imperatives. In this text, he does exactly the same thing, but in one chapter. He first talks about our affections, our hearts, and then he talks about our minds. Because remember, whatever we have in our heart and whatever I have in our minds affects our will. So Paul is being intentional here. In making sure that we understand that what matters the most, listen up, church, is not what you do. That what matters the most is your affections toward Jesus and your mind intoxicated by Jesus. Because the most natural reaction when someone is experiencing that is to want to surrender your will to Jesus. To want to change your will without your affections being changed and your mind being changed, it's either moralism or legalism. You just want to be good or you're trying to earn your salvation. 
But Christianity offers something completely different. Christianity invites our emotions, our affections, our hearts to be impacted by the gospel. And our minds to be impacted by the gospel in such a way that we just want to follow whatever the Lord wants us to follow. I need you to understand that. Because surrendering your will without surrendering your heart and your mind, it just turns a people into religious people. I, I, I want to explain it in a different way. And this is, this is fiction, okay? Because it's, it's about to get personal, but it's fiction. Can you say fiction? <laughs> you said it, all right? Listen up. Let, let me explain it this way. We are driven by affections. Whatever you love the most, that's what is going to control your life. So let's say, and fiction people, let's say that one of my daughters has a boyfriend. They don't have a boyfriend just yet. But let's say that one of them has a boyfriend. And let's say that this boyfriend is in love with love. You know what I mean? And let's say that this person, this boy, has all his affections and desires bound to one of my beautiful daughters. And I understand because if you look at them, I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> and let's say that this boy that is controlled by his affections and desires for one of my daughters goes to see her at our house when my wife and I are not there. Now, my daughters are not adults yet, so it wouldn't make any sense that he does that, right? right. Thank you. <laughs> and then she opens the door, and he looks at her, and he tells her something. I'm here because this thing that I have for you is more powerful than me, and I cannot resist it. That's what I'm here. And her being a girl... That makes sense. So she lets him in. Terrible mistake. Now, just, just seconds before he's trying, uh, the boy is trying to make a move on my girl, whatever that may be, I leave it up to your imagination. Right before the boy is about to make a move on my daughter, I drive into the driveway. <laughs> now, listen up. The boy hears me. Now, the boy knows that I'm a pastor. So the boy knows that, oh, it should be okay. He's a forgiving person. Why the boy is not remembering is that I'm a father before I'm a pastor. <laughs> what the boy is forgetting is that I'm still a sinful person. <laughs> Actually, the boy remembers, hold on a second. He's a pastor, a father. He's still sinful. I only have one option. Run. <laughs> Listen up. At that moment, his desire to live was stronger than his desire for my daughter. Isn't it true? We are controlled by what we desire. You know, as the boy is running away, my girl is going and saying, I thought you loved me. I thought that I loved you too. That's kind of what it is. Did you know, that's all a joke, right? But <laughs> that's exactly how we live 
We are controlled by what we desire the most. We are controlled by what we love the most. And that's why Paul spends all this time talking about our hearts and our mind. And now that we got that, he says in in verse 5, put to death. Now your will is affected. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Whatever is part of your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then in verses 8 and 9, he continues the list. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, hello, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Put to death. Be intentional. You make it happen. Allow your affections for Jesus. Allow your thoughts for Jesus to control you to the point that you are willing to die to yourself. Put it off. Can you see the order? Paul also knows, though, that not only we are called to put something off, but at the same time to put something on. To put on what we already have. In verse 10. And have put on the new self. I love the way Paul explains this. Live in alignment to what you already have. Which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Notice that Paul makes a connection once again between our sanctification, the process in which we grow to be like Jesus, and the renewal of our knowledge. And you see what Paul does? Our will is affected by putting off and by putting on. For those of you that have ever tried to get healthy in your life, isn't that what you do? You're supposed to stop eating some things, and you're supposed to start eating some things. You don't get to do only one. That's what Paul says. Let your will be affected in such a way that you die to certain things and you learn to live for other things. That's the transformation. What Paul is arguing is that growth only happens when you learn to die and to live. Why? Because our affections are already entangled with Jesus and our minds are full of who Jesus is. Now, if you notice, there's an amazing phrase there. He says that we're being renewed in the knowledge of the image of his creator. So the put off and the put on is the imperative. But with that sentence, we get the indicative. Because this is what he says, that part of the reason why Jesus went to the cross is to, um, to give us our humanity again. Listen, Paul assumes that we're going to continue to struggle with many things. That's why he's saying it. But he's also saying that our sin dehumanizes us. See, our sin makes us less of, of humans. And part of what Jesus is doing as he died and resurrected and as he's restoring us is that he's making us humans again, the restoration of our humanity. And that process is for your entire life. This week I remember a saying by John Newton. 
in which he said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I once was or what I used to be. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That only happens when your affections have been transformed, when your mind has been transformed to the point that your will is being transformed. So Paul says, if you want to live in light of the resurrection, fight for and with your heart, fight for and with your minds, and fight for and with your wills. And lastly, he does something interesting. He talks about community. He calls us to fight for and with our community. Look at what it says in verse 12. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse uh, 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love, which is like the glue that puts it all together. But if you notice, every single one of those things have to do with community. Has to do with other people. Like you don't get to be compassionate and you. That's compassion for somebody else. What good is your kindness, you're kind to you? Kindness has to do with another person, right? But right in the middle, he uses the word bear with one another. And you know, bear, sometimes we use that word like, oh, I have to put up with this guy. That's not what it means. The word bear with one another means to carry one another. Actually, this is a picture word in which you picture a person going underneath another person and lift them up or lift her up. That's what the word means. Bear with one another. The question is why? Because we forget. Because we live in this broken world with broken hearts and our affections every now and then go to different places. Because we live in a broken world with broken hearts and our minds go all over the place. Because we live in a broken world with broken hearts and our wills not always submit to God. Therefore, you need other Christians because we cannot grow in isolation. Your Christianity cannot be lived out without other people in your life. Nancy uh, Dimas, and I can't pronounce the last name, so, you know. She talks about the power of community. And she uses this amazing illustration with redwood trees. You guys ever seen those? Those are huge, super tall. The interesting thing about these trees is that their roots, they don't go deep. These trees are almost indestructible. But the roots, they don't go deep. The roots more, uh, move more like horizontal, uh, horizontally. And what happens is that um, there's a bunch of trees next to each other and the roots entangle with one another like this. And the strength does not come from how deep they go, the roots deep go, but how tight they are with one another. And that's the picture of the church. We do not grow in isolation. We don't get to live a resurrected life in isolation. We need one another. 
We need to bear one another. We need to carry one another. You know the people that you ought to do that with? The one, with the ones that you don't like. Not just the ones you like. That's how you live the resurrected life. And Paul says, that's an imperative. That's what you need to do. But because he's been following this imperative indicative, he's going to show us the motivation and the power for us to want to live in community. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And he says that if you want to be part of this community of resurrected people, remember that God made you into his community first. You're God's chosen people. He chose you. You did not choose him. He chose you and made you holy. He separated you for him and his purposes. And not only he chose you, made you his people, separated you for his uh, purposes, but you are also dearly loved. You know what that means? That his heart is full of you. Listen, I love all your kids, the ones I know. But I love my daughters even more. I love your kids, but I dearly love my daughters. And Jesus and God talks like that about you. You're not just people. You're people dearly loved by the creator of the universe. That's how you live the resurrected life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for someone like Paul that understands what it means to live in a broken world and to have broken hearts. Someone that understands, Lord, that there's this fight, this war within us that, that, that sometimes does not allow us to love you well, to serve you well, to surrender to you well. And that's why, Lord, because of the power of the gospel and the presence of your spirit, we ask you to please help us set our hearts on the things above, set our minds on the things above, in such a way, to such a degree, that our wills learn to surrender to you. But we're also grateful, Lord, because we don't have to do this alone. You have given us the church, a body of people that will help us and bear with us as we bear with other people. Can you please do that in us? And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus, and we say. Let's stand together and celebrate that Christ is our greatest hope in life and death and our only one. i
beautiful way to finish our service today because if we are people of the resurrection then we are people of hope amen? amen and part of our hope means that we believe that the lord is making all things new and that one day he's going to come back and finish the job in the meantime though we are here as people of hope to contribute to what he's doing amen, amen. that's why we 17 years ago if you were here last week i announced that we created this thing called carefest which is a one-day event in which we go into the community and we show by working hard that we are people of hope and that we care and love them. Amen? That's why I want you to sign up if you haven't done it uh, yet. When you exit the, the sanctuary, you're going to find the tables there. Please sign up. They're going to give you a T-shirt. Uh, we, it, it's a beautiful day in which we actually show people that Jesus is real in so many different ways. So if you haven't done that, please do it. Second thing before we leave is that I want to remind you, I also announced this last week, that next week we're going to start our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and I told you that I was super excited about this series because it was my idea. Um, <laughs> and I still think that it's a great, it's a great idea. So for, a whole, for about a year and a half, we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But I want to, I just, just give me two seconds here. I want to show you what we're going to do. So this is... Um, this is the booklet that we created. So on one section, you have the text that we're going to be preaching in. And on the other section, you have places where you could make notes and things like that. But we, got, we divided the Gospel of Matthew into 12 different sections. And every single different section has a different color. And for every different section, you're going to get a sticker. 
right? So if you miss a section, you don't get to have a sticker, right? No, I'm just kidding. You grab the sticker and put it even if you don't come to church, but shame on you. Uh, but this is super cool because we're going to get to walk through this gospel together and see how the Lord is speaking to us, keeping track of how the Lord is speaking to us. So by the end of the service, you can actually get one of these out there. There's a $5 donation. It's really a donation. If you don't have the money, don't worry. The Lord will provide in different ways. But if you have the money, maybe get one for you, maybe get one for your family. Uh, so I'm not supposed to brag about me, but what I did this week is I bought one for me one for my family, and I bought five more for other people, right? So if you have the means, do it. This is not for the church. It's for the, for the glory of God. Is that good? All right. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. So I'm going to ask you to please stand your hands a little bit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, Amen. thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. You are sent.